Well, welcome to the Anything Is Possible launch party. Yes. Pastor Joby, book number two. Last year we had If the Tomb Is Empty. Here we are a year later with Anything Is Possible, a book about how nine miracles of Jesus reveal God's love for us. So good, how is it feeling that book two is launched? Uh, it is, it's very exciting. For Charles, it's like book number 24, so I'm sure <laughs> this is also exciting for you. They don't get old. I, I don't know, man. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's exciting. I just hope and pray that God uses it like he did the first one, and, and we'll see. And he already is. He already is. Amen. So before we get too into everything we have for tonight, a little bit later on, we'll be taking some live questions from our audience, whether you're here in person or joining us online. So if you have a question that you want Pastor Joby or Pastor Charles to answer, you can text your question to 904-685-6815, and the number's on the screen too for you. So send in your questions, um, I mean, you know, within reason, um, and we'll ask those a little bit later on. My first question is, how is launching book number two different than launching book number one? Well, one of the things I would say is, I mean, first time I had no idea what to expect, you know, and um, a couple of the things that really surprised me was you, was our church, was the unbelievably warm response um, to the first book, and, and I really felt it when we did this last year. And the other thing that, that I, I don't know, I just wasn't thinking about, that I didn't know that how many people were gonna use it as an evangelistic tool. Very few people showed up with like one book to sign. They would show up with a case of books and they <laughs> yeah. would say, these are all my one mores, you know. I'll get, everybody's got lost family members and coworkers apparently. And um, people would hand them out. And so just a little different expectation coming in this time. Sure. What led you to write a book on miracles? And either of you can answer this. Well, um, you know, when you pastor a really big church, the all the publishing companies want you to write books immediately, and I didn't want to do one until I felt like the Lord had said, now it's time. And of all places, Charles and I were at the bottom of, uh, in Caesarea Philippi, where, where Jesus says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so it was there that we first talked about doing this thing together. And... Uh, and you know, if the tomb is empty, anything is possible. And it just seemed to make a ton of sense for us to point towards the tomb in the first one and then talk about the miracles that we need God to move in our lives in for number two. So it's, it just seemed to make sense. The way we worked on it was like one big box set. Charles, what was your thought when Pastor Joby said, I think we should go miracles? Well, it was probably the thought from the beginning. I mean, y'all see it as two different books, I think for he and I the process was really just writing one book and figuring out how to break it in the middle. I mean, mm -hmm. I, you know, we, wrote, we, wrote, we, we wrote one and then took you know, a couple of weeks off, but from the beginning, I think it was obviously if the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. But that was, it was never, a, it, it, was, always, it was always two books. It's, it, it's, it, at least these, it was always these two books. It was never just let's write one. Sure. Was anything different about the writing process for anything is possible, or did you do the same thing? And what, what, what is your writing process for these books? So God has knit Charles and I together in a very special way 
over a very godly activity, which is chasing whitetails with a stick and a string. And, uh, and also God has blessed our church with a retreat center in 3,200 wooded acres. It all just worked out. <laughs> it's all his plan. And um, so we have that in common, which is so good. And so we keep doing the same things, man. We go into the woods of South Georgia early in the morning, spend some time in the woods, working on what we're going to work on, and then uh, go into one of the cabins at the retreat center, build a big old fire. And it's really like a two-man discipleship group for me. Um, I, I just kind of preach to Charles, which is great. And then he asked me about a thousand questions. <laughs> and, uh, but it's also great because Charles is, is a deacon and an ordained pastor through the Church of 1122. So he knows our church. And so he knows all the stories and he asks me all the questions. <clears throat> and... Um, and then we just, we pray and we cry way too much. I don't know what's happening to us. I think last year we said it, we're putting the men in menopause, you know, and so. Uh, we are. Real men cry, just, that's what totally I, I've always heard. Real men cry. Well, then we are the realest <laughs> We men. are the realest men here. <laughs> but adding to that, we, book two came along in a, supposed to be a sabbatical for you. And yeah. your sabbatical, in my opinion, was, I mean, you got to go and do some stuff, but it wasn't a, I mean, you kind of bookend it with, you know, Brad and then end it with Ben. And so if you read the book, you, both those stories are in there. So it was, it seemed emotionally raw. The, the writing the second book was a much more raw process, especially for him. Um, writing the, you know, writing the chapter on, on Brad, uh, I think that comes in the chapter about when Mary anoints Jesus and yeah. pours out her worship at the feet of Jesus and the way that he was able to literally, literally do that, to worship in the midst of maybe some of the most pain he's known ever, I don't know, but was like I got to watch that and then I had to try to figure out how to write it. Pastor Joby, can you unpack that a little bit? What was happening during your sabbatical or what you thought was gonna be, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> your sabbatical was gonna be like and then what happened and how that plays into this book? Yeah, well the elders wanted me to go on a sabbatical, not because anything was wrong, but they just thought it would be a good idea and I pushed them off for about five years and then eventually I had to submit <laughs> to my authorities and eventually go. And man, it was gonna be awesome. Had all these incredible hunts planned and went on this awesome elk hunt to Colorado and then went to Scotland with a bunch of our like favorite couples to hang out with. And as you guys have heard me talk about it, um, on October 13th, Bradley Bowen and I and a bunch of guys head up into the Highlands to chase Red Stag and he never made it back and uh, died of a massive heart attack there. And, um, and in the meantime, well, one of the things I can tell you, um, a bunch of people that are supposed to be like pastor coaches or whatever, which I never listen to anyway, they say that if you wanna have a true sabbatical, you know, don't go to the church that you pastor because you'll never take a break, right? <clears throat> the only thing I wanted to do is get to this room, sit under the word of God, pray the prayers, sing the songs, and get to my spot on the altar and pray. That's all I wanted to do with my church family. And so it was in the middle of this that, that we're writing this book and, and um, 
You know, I think the evangelical world needs a healthy gospel-centered book on miracles. Because oftentimes when anybody talks about miracles, and it may just be to sell books, they kind of dangle the miracle in front of everybody instead of pointing everybody to the miracle maker. No, that's good. So we've talked that Brad is featured in the book, Ben Williams is in the book. There are two other individuals that almost full chapters are committed to their stories, Ike Brown and Dr. Osher. What, and I don't wanna give too much away, because you gotta read the book, but why did you choose to include these stories, these real stories, real lives in this book? Well, it's interesting, because two of my best friends on the planet was, was Brad Bowen and is Ben Williams. In, in fact, um, on the chapter of, of the um, paralytic being lowered through the roof, I say you better have at least four friends to grab the four corners of your life to drag you to Jesus. And the names I would have written down, Brad and Ben Williams would have been there for sure, and Lars Peterson, and now this guy. Um, and so Ben Williams' story is on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, my family's at vacation with the Williams. That's what we do, man. We go on vacation with the Williams. Our kids are so close, they consider each other like brother and sister. And then Ben goes down with a seizure and has brain cancer. And we're at the hospital in Orlando, and they tell us, they tell him and tell us, you've got maybe 18 months to three years to live. And maybe one year of that's gonna be good. And then I had to come back here to preach that Thursday night. Because I don't know if you know this, just if I have a hiccup in my life, y'all don't take off, you know. <laughs> Thursday comes with an amazing regularity. And so we get in the car and we drive here and stand on this stage in this place and just, when Michael got finished singing, got up here and said, church, we got to pray. Here's all I know, and Ben's in the hospital in Orlando, and here's what they said, and we've got to pray. And we prayed. And Carrie called me and said, I need help, what do we do? And, and one of the great things about pastoring a huge church is you don't own anything, but you have access to everybody. And so, partly because of Dr. Osher and Dr. Pooja and a bunch of folks, half of Mayo comes here, right? And so we reach out to Mayo and they just say, get Ben here. And so we get him here. And then on Monday, he goes in for a scan and they say, we can wait a few days and do surgery. And by the neck, by, by um, St. Patrick's Day, they do the surgery, and the prognosis is, we got it. We got it. You're cancer-free. Isn't that crazy? It's crazy. So, praying the same prayers to the same gods, God, drastically different results. One friend is healed, and one friend goes home. And so, a big question is, so then how do you respond when you get the miracle you're praying for, and how do you respond to an almighty, loving God when it doesn't go the way that you, you would have scripted it. And I think w one special thing about this book is you take the word of God and then a lot of people of God here at this church and you bring these two things together and it's this beautiful picture of the miracles that Jesus was doing in the first century. Miracles are still happening. And some miracles aren't happening the way we want them to but God is still working. Like Dr. Osher has cancer, but he lives his life completely on fire for the Lord. I mean, he will say, I've loved every second of my cancer journey 
not because it doesn't have suffering, but because I know Jesus more. Yeah, that, Dr. Ott, the faith of that man um, is so encouraging. I mean, whether he means to or not, it encourages and builds my faith to trust in the goodness of God, just mm -hmm. to watch how he goes through this and handles it. For sure. And then you mentioned Ike Brown. I mean, you wanna see the gospel lived out. Here's a man whose son was murdered, and then Ike Brown adopts his son's murder as his own son. The first time I met, I met Dr. I mean, I met Ike, Sergeant Ike, um, through our previous sheriff, and he's like, "You got to hear this guy's story." And, and Ike lays out the story at lunch, and I'm like, "Bro, that is the gospel." And he goes, "What?" I'm like, "What do you mean, what?" <laughs> A dad adopts his son's murderer as his own son, that's the gospel. And he goes, I never thought about it that way. I'm like, oh my gosh, how else could you think about it? Can we tell this story? It's, it's incredible. It is, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Without God, it's, you hear that story and that makes you know God is real or else, how, how else would he love his son's murder as his own son. And two of the things that are very special in this book, it was, it was Charles's idea for, for both books that I would close each chapter with a prayer. And um, so we asked uh, Dr. Osher and Sergeant Ike to write a prayer for two of the chapters, which are so, so incredible. So fun. And if you listen to the audio version, you will hear them reciting the prayer themselves, which right. is incredibly right. powerful. Yeah. So is there anything you've learned more about yourself through writing these two books? And Charles, just through writing, I know it's you know, kind of what you do all day, every day. But what have you learned more about yourself through this process? One of the things that's been fun for me is because I get to spend six or eight hours you know, a day kind of bathed in this. And the thing that the Lord has done in me which has been beautiful. It's also been chiseling and crushing in a really sweet way, but both of these books, whether we meant to or not, and I know the Holy Spirit was writing and doing what we did not know and what we did not see, but every day that I'm sitting there working, I'm brought back to the cross, and I'm just confronted with it. And, and you've heard me say this before, but when Paul writes the letter to the Galatians, in all of his letters, he, he starts his letter by thanking God, I thank you for so-and-so. I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people. I thank you for their work and ministry and the gospel. By the time we get to the, the Galatians, he's just hacked. He skips the thank you all together, and he reams them a new orifice. The reason was because they were probably a spirit-filled church. Many of them had seen Jesus crucified, resurrected, walk around. They had seen it. They were eyewitnesses to it. But something had taken their focus off of the cross. By the time you get to chapter three, Paul says, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was personally portrayed as crucified. So he's reaming them out because they've taken their eyes off the cross. I need that. I have a tendency, I'm a little bit of a squirrel sometimes. I have a tendency to like shiny things or listen to, I mean, whatever. So... The beauty for me, and it's just, it's the, like the Lord's gift to me as I've been doing this, as we've been doing this, as I get in my little hole and I'm buried in my little room in my chair or whatever, and, but the Lord brings me back to the cross, which is, the, what I'm left with is the exchange. Like, 
what, the only thing I bring to the cross is the sin that, the, the sin that causes me to need the cross in the first place. Amen. So I show up with all my junk and crap and baggage, and I don't know if I can say that from here, but sorry. Um, and the Lord in his mercy and tenderness takes it, and he pours out lavish mercy and grace and kindness, and I met with that. So this process for me has been that. That's really good. What about you? Um, one of the things that I talk about is, man, I, I, wish, <laughs> I wish I could make people love what I love, you know? And I've told you, I've tried to get all of you to love the Bulldogs. I don't know why you don't, but that's... I tried to get Gretchen to love sweet tea for 23 years. I don't know what's wrong with her, you know? Um, this process just makes me love the Word of God even more. So if, if you're a Jesus follower, I hope and pray that walking through these chapters, because all we're doing is walking through the text of Scripture. And this is not a book about me. It's not just random thoughts from me on how you can be a better version of you. That's not what it is. It is just, it is just us diving in and dissecting the Word because that's where the power is. And, um, and hopefully what we do is just put handles on it so that, so that you could digest God's word and it will just do the work that it does. So that's what it continuously does in me. One of God's great graces in my life, I love this so much, it's a fulfilled prophecy of Jesus. He says, man, I'm going, but I'm gonna send you a helper and he is going to teach you things. Mm -hmm. I can't teach you the Bible. Any, if you've ever learned anything in the scriptures, it's because the Spirit of God did in you what Jesus promised he would do in you if you would just lean yeah. in. That's right. And listen, even, even like rereading some of the things that we have already written from the scriptures, there's still things that, that, that he allows me to see afresh, you know, mm -hmm. like I've never seen it before. And yeah. so. That's good. So your writing partnership is really beautiful and hearing about your writing process. And I know it was really intentional on the cover to write Joby Martin with Charles Martin. And that's a little bit irregular in the book world. Um, and so can you tell us a little bit about why that was so important <laughs> that that said that? I think my whole ministry life is irregular, so <laughs> it would be regular for me. I mean, you could do the ghostwriter thing. Um, even when I told uh, the publishers, I think I'm gonna get Charles Martin to do this with me, they were like, good luck, he would never do that. And I was like, oh, you don't know. Like, you don't know who my guy knows. Correct, <laughs> right. Because that, that is what it is. It, it, I, I mean, by God's grace, he's given me the content, you know, through 10 years of preaching here, preaching these texts and that kind of stuff. But this is, this is with, it's... it's um, Charles, God has put Charles in my life, at least in regards to this stuff, it's, it's so much more than this, but he's put Charles in my life to, to help me take um, what God's given me from this stage and put it on a page, and I couldn't do it without him, so it was very important for me to say, with. Love it. People have a lot to do with writing, uh, obviously the two of you, and your gratitude towards one another, but it takes a lot of people to pull off a project like this. It's not like you just sat down, whipped it out by yourselves, and here we go. It's months <laughs> of work. And um, I would just love to give you the opportunity, if there's anyone you guys want to thank and show some gratitude who had a part in this project. Go first. Well, Beth Adams is our 
our, our publisher and editor, and she caught a vision for this thing really early, which is beautiful. And I'd worked with her previously, or I'd, I'd known her previously, and the editor-writer relationship is a, can be precarious because you really have to figure out how to speak the same language. In some sense, it's a lot like a marriage. You have to figure out how to communicate about hard things. And she's awesome. I'm really, I mean this, I'm really grateful for her. She, and I have a couple of really awesome editors. But in, with, with regards to this, that to me has been phenomenal. And then on this side of it, because I often need things from him, um, content or sermons or whatever, I can text one of several people, be it Steph or April or whomever, and just like, bam, it shows up in my inbox. It's the coolest thing ever. I don't have to go digging for it. They are real people. They're not so, robots working in the... Uh, it's been kind of cool. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot. First of all, I would say our church family. I mean, honestly. Um, I appreciate y'all so much. I love y'all so much. The fact that I even get to do this uh, for more than one week in a row, it's just a, an unbelievable move of God in my life. And so the, that you would be here right now and be a part of this, I, I thank you so much. Our staff, look, it, as much as anything, so my name's on this and Charles's name's on this, and, but this is like a staff project. There's no way in the world I would have time to get away and spend the time I need to on this if we didn't have such an amazing staff doing such an amazing job uh, helping me pastor this church. There's no doubt about that, man. And then my family, who's sitting right over here. Um, yeah, man. <clears throat> and especially Gretchen. I mean, you know, about 20 years ago, I was this close to stepping out of ministry. I was. I was in the wrong place at a at a church that just, it wasn't my fit. And um, man, I was this close to walking away. And when Elijah, uh, even after he had these great successes in ministry and he calls down fire on the 850 prophets, he, he finds himself in a really dark place and he's laying by a brook praying that God would kill him. And God sends an angel to encourage him to stay in the battle. Yeah, God sent me one too. Her name's Gretchen. Amen. So the question everybody's wondering is, are there more books in the future of Joby Martin with Charles Martin? The answer is a resounding yes. We're working <laughs> on number three right now. Yeah, for sure. All right. As, is this as, gonna be the way we go once a year? Is it every year? <laughs> uh, no. Um, <laughs> no. But... Charles has another job too. This is my job. This is what I do. As long as they are helpful for the advancement of the gospel and the discipling of God's people, then the answer is yes. We, I won't do it just to like have another book on a shelf or just because it's the thing that pastors do. But, um, but yeah, one of the great things about having Charles alongside is that uh, he doesn't come to church the same way anymore. He's got, like, like, hopefully he's got one discipleship ear, and then he's also got one author with Charles Martin ear, because there'll be a bunch of sermons totally. lately. He's like, all right, um, I need the transcript of that one, because I think that will work in chapter three mm. of the next thing. How cool is that? 
That's awesome. We did, a we part did. of what that allows me to do, I'm just focused on pre, like I just want to disciple you. And then if God wants to do more with it, great. And so, yeah, Charles I'm pretty neck deep right now in number three. And this happened a week ago. I, he had it laid out and outlined how he thought the chapters ought to, and I got into it and I thought, man, yeah, but I really like his, his stuff on Romans 3. So I just texted him. I said, hey, here's what, I think we ought to cut this, move this, pop this. like a big game of Tetris. Move this, and then let's take this one and slide it in here. And I just think it, and I gave him our, he, and he said, yeah, great. So I do think sometimes I'll listen to sermons that way. I'm also wired that way. With regards to the whole with thing, I really didn't care. I don't, I told him, I said, look, you can put my name on it. You can take, you know, my name doesn't have to be on it. I don't care how you do it. I really don't. I'm, I'm in, let's just do it. And he told that to me, our agent, pub, all the people that would be involved there, and over and over and over. And um, Well, Charles is also the one who serves our church by taking out the trash, because it's <laughs> kind of a serve job that no one really wants to do. So it doesn't surprise me that he didn't care if his name was on the cover. And what was really cool, so when I first met Charles, I mean, he's a big deal, right? Multiple time New York best-selling author, like, it's a really big deal. He's a big deal, okay? And he comes up to me, and we don't know each other that well yet. We haven't been hunting yet. And he says, how could I serve the church? And I knew he was a big deal. And I just said, somebody's got to take the trash out. That's all I said. Because I didn't know him. And <laughs> I, we weren't this tight then. We, we weren't. We didn't know each other that well. This is years and years and years ago. Several weeks later, I didn't even think about it, right? Because I thought, all right, we'll see. Like, I, I've seen the TV shows that you're on being interviewed about your <laughs> books turned into movies and you've yeah. been on the record. I've seen you, you know. And I go, somebody needs to take the trash out. About three weeks later, I didn't pay attention at all. I park back here and I'm driving out the alley and there's, there's New York Times bestselling Charles Martin with two bags of trash right there. And still, it wasn't like he did it once. That was years and years and years ago. And he probably hates you for bringing it up. Yeah, he definitely he does. He's giving me the way. eyes right now. <laughs> but if you want to talk about a man of character and That's humility right. and integrity That's right. that just takes the gifts of God and just holds them loosely and says, God, they're not mine, they're yours. Use them however you will. That's this brother right here. Facts. Yeah, Facts. there's no doubt about it. All right, well, we are going to transition to some questions from... Our audience, anyone tuning in, we'll put the phone number back up on the screen. So if you haven't and you have a question, send it in and we'll ask it. Um, but we're gonna start with this one. A lot of people use your first book, If the Tomb is Empty, as a discipleship tool. Can you explain how these books can be used for that? So a really good definition of discipleship is simply this. What is my next step of obedience? That's it. Like if we, by definition, are followers of Jesus, if you ever stop taking steps, you ain't following anymore. And all we are doing is, is walking through the text. The first one, seven mountains, right? The point to the empty tomb. And this one, nine miracles of God. And there are action items in every chapter. Because these are not just stories that happen. I mean, Charles loves to say this. Listen, man, there's no expiration date on the spirit of God. So the same Jesus that we're reading about in the scriptures that's doing these miracles is the same Jesus that is doing the same miracles today. Amen. And he is asking us the same questions that he is asking the folks that he was doing these miracles for. That's good. 
Next question we got is, what impact has this book writing process had on your friendship? <laughs> We're all looking at you, Charles. <laughs> Sometimes when I talk or speaking or something, Christy will get really nervous because I've spent, I'm 53, I started to write when I was 15, so I've spent that amount of time writing. I have trained the answers in me come out of my heart or my mind and they, they travel down my arms to my fingers looking for a keyboard because that's where the answer will find its exit out of me. Sometimes if there's a pregnant pause like what you just experienced, it's because the answer went to my fingers and realized there was nothing there to type. <laughs> so it's gotta reroute and come back out my mouth. I love him like a brother. Um, it, it's been, I said this to, Christy and I were, we were praying earlier today and I just said, Lord, I'm so thankful I did not miss this. I'm so thankful that all the stuff he talks about with all the career and all, I'm so thankful that, that I did not let that whisper and I'm grateful that he and I got to do this and I, you know, one of these days we'll get to heaven and we'll meet a bunch of people who read this book and the Lord used it to turn them and call them to himself and so I'm, I'm massively grateful on a, on a huge level. I, I usually just start saying words and then uh, think about stuff while I'm talking. That's usually. <laughs> Very opposite. This is why you guys go well together. It goes great, man. Uh, I'm amazed that he can talk as quickly as he does and it actually makes sense. Like there's content <laughs> there. It takes me a minute. I have to think about it. Depends on who you ask, I think. I was gonna say, he looked at Gretchen right I when did. you just said that. You hear him? <laughs> so, um, uh, friendship is not a strong enough word, man. Um, at just the right time, God put this dude in my life. Uh, there, there's no doubt about, especially like with Brad's exit home, um, I had another dear friend in my life that just kind of has, has just sort of disappeared over the last few years. And uh, God put this dude in my life. It's weird, it's like we don't shift gears between writing books together or hanging out. We happen to be neighbors, we live right down the road from each other, we hang out a lot. I mean, it's just, all of that is just all one friendship, brotherhood, relationship. And so, and there's no way that you can pray with somebody with the intensity that we pray together and your hearts not just be tied together. Yeah. Okay, another person asked, what were the books for each of you that were crucial in your discipleship? Well, that's a great question. Uh, Mere Christianity, I still read it every year. Um, you know, Wild at Heart for me as a man, uh, understanding what it means to be a man as an image bearer of God. Captivating is the female version of that. Also yeah. a really impactful book. Yeah, really, really impactful. For me, it was a book called Heavenly Man. I don't know if any of y'all have read that, but it's the story of Brother Yun or Brother, I'm sorry, Brother Chu, I don't know, but he started the Chinese house movement. He was, his, his, his walk with the Lord is unlike anything. I, I finished the book and set it down in tears and in a really honest conversation with the Lord, said, Lord, I don't know if I love you that much mm. and I'm sorry and I want to. It was this, it, before you read it, I'm not kidding. I'm not saying this to blow snow. Before you read anything of mine, you should go read Heavenly Man. Love it. What was the process and decision of choosing the cover of the book? 
So the cover is uh, <laughs> an illustration. I had nothing to do with it. <laughs> because if the Jags win the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, I real convenient here. <laughs> um, you know, man, my man Ben Williams helped me out a lot. Uh, lots of people work on this kind of stuff. We did, I did want it to look like they go together in a box set because they do, so it's similar colors. And then, um, you know, I love the artwork of Jesus walking on water and us just getting a glimpse of that there. Uh, so, so that's really it. This is a, this question comes from a real place. How do you posture your heart correctly when God doesn't answer your prayer the way you want him to? So we wrote a whole chapter yeah, on that. Yeah, you read this book. <laughs> yeah. Um, in John chapter six, Jesus has just fed 5,000 people, everything's awesome. And he shares the hardest teaching he's ever shared. Unless you eat my flesh or drink my blood, you have no part with me. Can you imagine if you're listening to that and you're taking notes, what'd he say? Flesh? He said fish. He said fish. We're said Jews. Fish. We can't eat pigs. Surely we can't eat a prophet, right? Right. Okay. And then people are like, okay, no, he's gonna clear this up. He makes it worse. Unless you feed on, not just eat one time, like take one bite and be like, all right, we're straight, but feed on, like, right? He just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. Everybody starts leaving. And he looks at Peter and says, you wanna leave too? So why? Why does he ask Peter? Because he knows Peter's thinking, I'm out of here, man. I've made a terrible career decision. This is not working out for me, right? And he could have explained himself in one second. Like God could manifest himself to me right now and say, let, let me tell you all the reasons I took your friend Brad, you know? He could explain to you right now why Martin's not here with you. He could explain it right, and he does it. He does it. Instead, he just asked the question, do you wanna leave too? And Peter's answer is what you do when God decides to not explain himself. He says, to where shall we go? You're the only one that offers eternal life. So you just pick up your doubts, you pick up your unanswered questions, you pick up your tears and you pick up your broken heart and you just keep following after Jesus. But what he does promise, see we don't have to doubt his heart for us because we can look to the cross. But what he does promise is that he is at work in all things and right now we see through a glass dimly but there will be a day when we see him face to face and we say look you did it again. You did it again. My way would have been the worst way. And what you decided to do God, was perfect again. That's what faith is. That's great. Anything you'd add, Charles? When Job goes through his trial and he finally has a, chapter 38 or 39 or 40, he has a conversation with God and God asks him, where were you when I raised up the mountains and when I stretched out the sea and can you give birth to Leviathan? And Job, who according to God, God says it three times, he's righteous and blameless. He had not sinned before God. But he was limited in who he knew God to be. And then, and then God reveals himself to him. And he has a right revelation of God like John does in his revelation. He sees Jesus not as the man at the Last Supper, but as the son of God who he is. But when Job sees God for who he is, he says, now 
I've heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you and I abhor myself and I repent in dust and ashes. And though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Job had a right revelation of the Lord and that's, I pray that for me, I pray that for my kids, I pray that for Christian, I pray that we don't take our eyes off of the cross because there's the right revelation of who he is and we need that, I need that. So good. Um, this next question, a little bit of a turn from that question. Will Pastor Joby consider writing a book on marriage? Yes, it will be one of the books. I just don't want to do it first, man. At some point, I will unpack Song of Solomon in a full oh, book. Oh, phew. Okay? That's what we're all wondering. But the problem is, if I do it first, then I'm labeled <laughs> that guy. That's the, I'm not going to be that guy. I just want to be a Bible teacher, yeah. not just a Song of Solomon expert. Do you yes. understand? And we so we talked about that at length, and I was like, dude, I don't think you want to do that because you're yeah. forever going to be known as the sex pastor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have nobody, so many things running through my mind right now. <laughs> okay, moving on. Um, Look, I'm growing. Look at me. This is like progressive sanctification before your very eyes. Okay, um, what was the hardest moment for each of you in the process of writing this book? Um, so like we know the chapters that we're working on and the content that we're working on going into it. And there was just some personal stuff like we've talked about with Ben and Brad and there was just some stuff like that going on. And I had to decide going into our this meeting, like am I just gonna let this be a work meeting and get the content and it'll be fine? Or am I gonna treat this like a disciple group of brotherhood and just Open share? your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's very, very inefficient in regards to deadlines that you're giving and that sort of stuff. Yeah. So do I like waste a day of writing because I, I just need to bear my soul and be wow. prayed for. Wow. It was, we talked a little bit about it being a gut, a gut punch for him. My time working, writing the book wasn't anything like what his was, but life is life and you, you, know, you wrestle through stuff. So I remember, I remember book two being a lot harder than book one. But I also remember as we wrote it, thinking to myself, man, I'm almost, as, I'm almost more excited about book two coming out because it's almost like an if-then statement. If mm -hmm. the tomb is empty, then anything is possible. Well, you get the then part in this. And it's, it's the answer, it's the hope. I mean, there's hope in both of them, but it, the, the, you get to shout and like pump your fists a little bit at the, you know, I mean, when the paralytic gets up off the mat, People are losing their ever-loving minds. <laughs> right. You know? Lazarus walks out of the tomb. What, what do you think the crowd did? And so we, you know, we kind of get to live through those moments talking about them and writing them. And so I was really excited for this one to come out because I know he needed hope in this time. I needed some. Um, writing is not like, a, I mean, being the life of an artist is an interesting thing sometimes. So... I was just grateful for it, and I'm grateful to see it come out. Do you plan in the future to translate any of your books into different languages? 
Yeah, and there's some, I mean, I would love to translate it to every <laughs> tribe, tongue, and nation, right? Yeah. So that's not up ultimately my it's decision. Not a, yeah, mm. ultimately the publisher does that. Mm. But they will, I am sure, that shortly this will cross the ocean and it'll be in a bunch of languages. And then we'll go on a European tour, all three of us. Um, <laughs> that's how you got to Israel. That's how you got to Israel. Yeah, clearly I learned. <laughs> Um, okay, someone asked, I love this, what's been your biggest joy in ministry? Um, uh, seeing, it, when I say I can't get over the gospel, not only do I mean that I can't believe that he would save me. Man, that would be enough right there. Can you, I mean, good gracious. H.B. Charles said it so well a few weeks ago. Do you know who the worst Christian I know is? Me. I've only heard some rumors about you. I know every sin I've ever been a part of and the ones that didn't even come to fruition, but according to the Sermon on the Mount, they were a sin in my brain. Okay, so I can't believe that he would save me. And then not only would he save me, but he would use me? I mean, listen, when you say nice and encouraging things to me about, and you, I know you're always trying to get the words right and all that kind of stuff, but I get it. But when you say encouraging things like God changed your life while my lips were moving, it blows me away. I printed out this email because we didn't have this in the, in the last one. This happened a few weeks after the first book came out. And uh, this is a kid I knew from Dillon, South Carolina. And he says this, hey, Joby, I don't even know where to start this email sitting here in my house in Santa Rosa Beach, Florida and my 11-week-old puppy sleeping on my leg. He says, I've been spot-following you for a while now, almost as if hiding in the woods, scared and embarrassed for you to see me. I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's true. By happen chance or divine intervention, or let's just say a work of God, he put me in a situation after attending a church for maybe the third time in about 10 years this past Sunday, where I would walk by your book in a books a million in Destin, Florida, right down the road from where I live. Without a second thought, I bought it, excited, scared, nervous, and a whole range of emotions poured out of my heart as I sat down to re read the first chapter. What a rush of emotion flowed through and out of my body. You mentioning the pool in Dillon, your dogs hulking Daisy, Coach Bull Lee, Camp Pine Hill. I wanna let you know that I said that prayer. He's talking about the prayer at the end of chapter one to receive Christ as your savior. I said that prayer, I meant that prayer with my whole heart. There has been so much happening around me. He keeps going, keeps going. His name's Jess Peel. He came here, he got baptized at Beach Baptism. He joined an online disciple group and he just closed on a house here in Jacksonville and he's somewhere here in the room right now. So listen. Bro, I knew that kid when he was, I was, he, I was in the fifth grade when he was born, okay? So he, I've known him his whole life. This is why I do this. And there's no other reason. So good. Yeah. What about you? What's been your biggest joy in ministry? Well, I love, I love seeing people walk in freedom. I love seeing the Lord work through some thing he's allowed me to do. I had a lady walk up to me in Myrtle, no, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, one night at a Barnes and Noble. Long story, I had given her a book the year before and she was in a bad way and she came back in this following year and 
she just looked totally different. She was radiant and beautiful and healthy. And she handed me my book, and it was, um, it was my second novel. And it, uh, it was all taped together. It was a beautiful book, but the whole thing was like, you know, gorilla tape on the back, and all the pages were yellow and had coffee stains, and like half of it was underlined. And she had, she had really read this book. And when I, she came up and asked me to sign this next book, she, she, just, all, she just walked up to me and she handed me this battered book and she said, this book walked me out of suicide. Mm. Wow. That was a real marker for me that night. I got in the truck and I just, I just told the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm done doing this my way. Psalm 45 became really real. It's the one that starts, my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. And it's my great desire to make your name known to the nations. So I've loved being in that place where he does what he does, when he does, just because he wants to do it. And for some reason, and I really don't understand this, he uses us. And he gets joy out of that. And I'm all in. I love it. Yeah, I, I, I preached our prison campuses yesterday at, at a Union in Columbia. And I come... Uh, well, I get there before they get there, you know, and, and they come all walking in. And almost every one of them has, if the tomb is empty, under their arms. Wow. And they're talking. So there's like a whole library in our prison systems where these books are. So good. And, uh, well, there's no doubt that these books have had an impact, will have an impact. Um, you two have had great impact on my life and many of the people tuning in and here tonight, a massive impact. And we just know God's not done, and we're so excited to see it. So my last question before we pray is, is there a miracle that you're still praying for? Um, well, I, obviously that I would be resurrected with Christ on the last day. <laughs> That's kind of the biggest one. So <laughs> it's sealed though, so I don't have to worry about that one. You know, as, as we, were do, we were having this similar conversation, I don't know, I feel like, uh, one of the things we do a lot is I spend a lot of time with you asking me questions when we do books, so that's, that's fun. That's correct. So, and by the way, doesn't Allie do an amazing job, like on the podcast, and isn't she incredible? Um, as, I was, I was, as I was looking and thinking through the different miracles, man, um, one of the miracles that we talk about in the book that is guaranteed to every believer is the pouring out of the Holy Spirit for anyone who believes in Christ. And so I wanna be constantly, consistently praying that I would be an example of what Jesus meant when he says, you want me to go away, because I'm gonna send the helper, and you're gonna do even greater things than I have done. So whatever he meant by that, I mean, I have some ideas, but, but I'm praying that, I would be a part of the prom that promise. Amen. How about for you, Charles? Well, a couple of them are between me and the Lord, but I will say this. One of the things that I love about him, like some, sometimes when he preaches, it just crushes me and I, it like pierces me. I texted him a couple of months ago. And I'm like, dude, I'm such a Pharisee and it's worse than you think. And I'm not saying that to blow snow. I really mean it. Like if you knew me, you would know the situation is actually worse than you think. One of the things I've loved just rubbing shoulders with him and being around him is he, lo he loves people really well. 
and he loves the unlovable really well. And I know he's our pastor, and I know he's up on this platform, and I know he gets all these accolades, but I'm telling you, I know the brother. And I'm, I'm, I'm constantly encouraged by that. But I'm also constantly challenged by that. One of my prayers is, man, I just hope that when people bump into me, that they feel loved like I've seen people bump into him. Amen. Well, before we pray, you should read this book. Wherever you are, if you have a miracle that you're in the waiting for, or maybe there's someone in your life that you just are burdened for the miracle they haven't seen come through yet, you should read this book, and you should give it to people who just need a little bit of hope not necessarily that their miracle is going to be met, but that they can meet Jesus and it will be enough. Amen. And so I would, I would encourage you, pick up a book. You can get it anywhere books are sold online as of today, uh, launch day. And um, the second thing I wanna say is come to an Easter service, whether it's at the Church of 1122 or maybe you're in another state or country, but find a local church and Go to an Easter service, and if you wanna to come to ours, we'd love to have you worship with us. We are running services all weekend on Easter at many different locations, so we'd love to just invite you to be a part of our Easter services. But as we close out our time together, Charles, will you pray for us? Yeah, if y'all will um, grab somebody's hand, do act like you love somebody, put a hand on somebody, okay? Lord Jesus, we, we love you, and we bow down and we worship you, and we pour out our praise in this place tonight, Lord, for you are the only one worthy of our praise, and we thank you, Jesus, for who you are, what you have done for us and to us and in us and through us, and Father, we just, we offer this thing up, this book. Uh, your word says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it can't grow up and bear much fruit, so tonight, spiritually, we would just like to bury it and let you do with what you, you do with it what you want, Father. The thing that we put in the ground is never what comes out of the ground. And it's so much greater when you bless it. So Father, for your glory and for your purposes, would you get this into the hands of the folks who need it and let it be the thing, let, let it be one of the things where you love on people deeply and root out hurts and grant them hope. And Father, nothing has changed you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. You are seated on the throne at the right hand of God and you have the Father's ear. You hear us when we ask you. So Lord, would you please pour out your spirit on us, your people. Father, for the work that you wanna do, the miracles that you wanna pour out, we ask for those. Lord, we consecrate this to you tonight. We set it at your feet, and we ask that you would bless it. And when people crack the pages, that they would meet you, King Jesus. We pray this in the matchless and undefeated name of Jesus.